Powered by Rev Media in partnership with TSN, this is episode 16, season 5 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, and it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. It's the signature CC classic 12-year-old whiskey, finished with a secondary aging in the Oloroso Sherry cast. So look forward to that. Thank you to Canadian Club Whiskey. We've got Ken Hitchcock joining us on the podcast this week, Ray, just coming off the Hall of Fame induction with a phenomenal, phenomenal class this year. And I I say that every year because annually it's a great class. That's Mm. what the Hockey Hall of Fame is is all about. But as, as those who listen or watch the the podcast will quickly find out hitch is again a good storyteller right and his ability to recall stuff from way back in the day like way before his nhl days before his time in the western hockey league with the kamloops blazers is impressive and his want to stay involved and the competitive nature of ken hitchcock is is alive and well so look forward to the chat with hitch yeah, one of one of the greats of the game. Seriously, like when yeah, yeah, when you played his teams, most often you realize that you were you were in one. Like it mm-hmm. was, they did not play very many easy games. I'll tell you, they were not they were not very fun to play against. Um, that team he had in Dallas was so skilled. Yeah, but they were enormous. The yeah. the only small guy they had on the blue line, and he wasn't even very small, was. Sergey Zuboff, and he's in the Hall of Fame. The other guys were like these lumberjacks back there, the Hatchers and Craig Ludwig and Richard Matvachuk. You'd go back in there, and they would just, man, it was brutal to play against his teams. And they were, they were on it. They were on it. He was, he did, he did an amazing job. Uh, a terrific coach and a and a fabulous, fabulous storyteller. Yeah, he is joining us uh, on Ray and Dregs this week. So let's dive into the headlines. Tim Hortons has launched its first ever National Holiday Smile cookie campaign. It's underway now. It'll run through the 19th. You buy one of these delicious smile cookies, and 100% of the proceeds goes to support local charities. For more than 25 years now, you've come to know and love Tim Hortons smile cookies. So check out the National Holiday Smile cookie campaign only at Tim's. So we've kind of kicked around the Edmonton Oilers for the last yep. few episodes, right? And, and now we can see that they're coming out of the funk, or at least it appears that they're coming out of the funk. They've won three in a row. Connor McDavid opens the scoring. That always helps. Vander Kane with a hat trick last night, including the OT winner. He's on a developing heater with four goals and a couple of assists in three games. But it feels like they're relying on their third periods the last couple of games, last few games. So does that tell us anything, or are we just analyzing too deeply? It's just about winning based on how the first 10, 12 games went for the Oil. Well, I, I don't think they're particularly fussy right now about what the win looks like. I, you know, no. their, their win against Seattle was, it, it was not a painting, right? Like that's, that was not a, a very pretty first 40 or 45 minutes. And, um, Yet they find a way to win, which two weeks ago they were finding a way to lose. Um, there's there's a couple of things that have happened here. So the the last game that Jay Woodcroft coached, they played quite well. You know, they had the, it was a four one win. They were heading back home. They win the first two games uh, under Chris Knobloch, and 
the common thread in all of those is guys that had not played very well or very productively mm-hmm. all of a sudden found the little spark. I mean, they weren't going to lose 50 games. It, it wasn't going to happen. But uh, the change was made, and whether you agree with the change or don't agree with the change, three games ago it was Hyman with a hat trick. Yeah. Uh, two games ago it was Dreisaitl with a goal and three assists. Last game it's Kane with three goals. They give up five goals total in those three games. If you look at those three games, there is nothing similar to the previous dozen, right? Yeah. So it, it's yeah. some things that we're going to, you know, some things that we're going to straighten themselves out are starting to straighten themselves out anyway. We often hear about regression to the mean and well, there is ascension to the mean too. Like the, all of a sudden Connor McDavid didn't forget how to play. No, you know, that power no. play is not going to suck all year. No, uh, like all of a sudden things start to get to what they should be. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's six points in the bank in the last week. And I'm sure everybody's feeling a hell of a lot better in Edmonton than they did then. You know, I'm always intrigued by the, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Right. And it's it's been acknowledged that they made a dressing room amendment, a change. Right. They put the defensemen together, one area of the dressing room. That was coach's decision, Paul Coffey. Chris Knobloch and Glenn Gullitson. Um, is it just so obvious? You know, they want those guys communicating more off the ice, not just on the ice, on the bench, that sort of thing. For sure it is. And, you know, like if you, you've been in the new Oiler room, like a lot yeah, of dressing yeah. rooms, it's pretty big. Yeah. Like, so if, if guys want to talk, you're, you either got to walk over there and have a discussion or maybe it's a little easier if you just lean over to your left or right and hmm. talk to the guy that you want to talk to. So it, it's, I mean, I, I've been with teams where they did that. I did, I've been with teams where they didn't. I got a, a little aside here. In Hartford, they rebuilt the dressing room. And somehow in it, there was this little nook of six stalls, three that faced each other. And there was myself and Dave Babich and Stu Gavin I forget who else. Kerry Wilson yeah. was in there. So there were six of us in there, but it was blocked from the rest of the room. <laughs> so at the end of it, like, was where the coffee machine was. And so guys were constantly walking through our little nook. And so I, I don't know who it was, probably Kerry Wilson, because he was sarcastic, funny guy. He put tape on the ground and he taped the door. And so you had to walk through the door to come in or else somebody would make a big fuss. The guys are just going to get a coffee. But it was the most absurdly de- designed room. We had we had our own little clubhouse in there. Nobody knew what the hell was going on in the other side That's of the phenomenal. room. phenomenal. Us dummies were in there. So I don't know. I don't think the Oilers are going for that, putting the 6D together. They they want a little little conversation. Sure. Uh, Vancouver Canucks rate continue to roll along here. Uh, Quinn Hughes scores the overtime winner last night. Nice feed, by the way, from JT Miller, who's been pretty consistent, I would say. Is it just all, I mean, it's not just about confidence. I mean, they've got all layers kind of clicking, as we've already talked about. Um, but they, they continue to roll along. So we're at a point now in the regular season where we recognize this is a good hockey club. Yeah, I, I, I think their biggest attribute right now i mean you look at the 
the three guys that are at the very top of the NHL scoring charts. And when, mm-hmm. when does that ever happen? Quinn Hughes, uh, JT Miller and Elias Patterson, yeah. you know, are up in the top three or four in scoring. Um, but they're big. I, I, I'm so impressed with this year, the way that they've been able to handle a kick in the pants mm-hmm. where the game would have got out of, out of control that would have lost touch with it in years past. It doesn't happen right now. They gave up, two power play goals in the first 10 minutes yeah. to the Islanders. And that game could have scooted away from them. It didn't. Their power play gets going. They got a great power play. And it's a new wave power play. Like we used to have positions that you kind of stood in. I was either on the half wall or I was down at the goal. That was mm-hmm. it. Look at those, the best power plays, Tampa, Edmonton, Vancouver right now. Those five guys are never in the same place. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to defend against, say, Quinn Hughes when he's not always at the top. Right? He can be somewhere else. JT Miller is by the front of the net or he's on the half wall on the left side or the right side. Mm-hmm. Like he scored power play goals from both tops of circles this year. <laughs> so their, their resilience, their power play, um, you know, Demko made some really good saves when the game went to 3-1. Um, you know, it, it's now, what, 15, 16 games into the year. And, yeah, you know, it's a good sample a lot of size. Po- yeah, and there's a lot of points in the bank right now for them. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned the Islanders. Obviously, that's, you know, the team that the Canucks beat in overtime. Nice tribute, by the way, for Bo Horvat. And, and he talked about, you know, the emotion of that and everything that went into it. Um, But this Islanders team, Ray, I mean, they're missing a lot. It seems like they're missing a lot. Um, I don't know. They look slow to me. They look like this is a team in trouble. You know know which teams made the fewest changes in the offseason? Yeah. The Islanders and Mm -hmm. Vegas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what's not the same here? Right. Right? Like one team's the Stanley Cup champions. Why do they need to make any changes? The Islanders don't score. They have trouble scoring. They're heavy-footed, and mm-hmm. they make no changes. Like right. They're not going to get faster. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, when I look at their team, they've got one creative forward. And I thought he was awesome last night, and that's Matt Barzell. Mm-hmm. They moved him to left wing, and, man, he had to puck the whole night. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of them, they kind of plod around. Like Horvat's not a creative player. He's a strong player. Like mm-hmm. There's a difference. Who's going to create offense? Who's going to create pace? It's like they're trying to play a game from 1997. Mm-hmm. And it just does not work. It, it won't work. Their power play isn't very good. Their penalty killing is abysmal. Mm-hmm. Like they're under 50% in the last 10 games. Like you just don't have a chance Yeah, that way. And so I think it's now six games that they haven't won. Yeah. And... Uh, just a couple of points in those six games. And you got to be careful here or, or this is going to run away from them. And the the hard part is if you decide, Dregs, to make changes that, hey, we're going to look to the future, which of the players are they going to be able to move? Yeah. Because they signed some players to long deals. Yeah. And the ones you want to move, or the ones you want to move rather, you probably can't. The ones you don't want to move are the ones you can move. Mm. They're they're in a tough spot, I think. 
you've, you've talked about this before, and it's not just in relation to Vancouver and some of the other teams that have jumped out of the gate. You know, there, there are going to be ebbs and flows, sagging stretches in the regular sure. season. That's just the reality of every year. So in qualifying it that way, are you buying Boston, Vancouver, the New York Rangers top five, or is it more likely that we're going to see the Maple Leafs, maybe the New Jersey Devils, the Tampa Bay Lightning, throw Pitt in there as a long shot, if you will, the Oilers clawing back miraculously, you know, into the top 10, if not the the top five. Is that the way you see it playing out as we go deeper into the year? Yeah, but those teams that you mentioned, so I think Jersey will elevate themselves. Yeah. You know, they've been playing the last couple of weeks without uh, Hishier and, and of course, Jack Hughes, right? He was lead, leading the league in points when he got hurt. Um, Toronto, there's obviously questions about their defense. Um, you know, can they be, you know, a top five, six, seven team with that defense? And I would yeah. say no, but I, I still think they're a really good team. Right. Um, uh, I... I'm amazed by Boston. Amazed. They just don't give up any goals. Structure, man. Yeah. Oh, man. And so I I had this question earlier, like, does culture and structure matter more than players? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, but it's pretty close. Right. I mean, you need to have the players to have the structure and the culture. But now that they have it, man, they just... They're they're not going away. I I've got Tampa tonight in Chicago. I just don't. I mean, a lot is going to get fixed when Vasilevsky gets back in the net because he's the best in the game. But they're just not the team they used to be. Yeah. How how could they be? And yeah. so you know, who you didn't mention. I don't think was Dallas. Right. Dallas no, is good. They Dallas good. is really yeah. good. And so um, you know, Vegas is Vegas is at the very best. They're in the I would say Vegas and Dallas um, are are in the top five and are going to stay there. Yeah. Um, you know, Colorado will push their way in and out of that, depending on the way their depth guys play. But um, there'll be a group, you know, there'll be a group of ten teams that can win by by the midway point of the year. Like it'll clarify itself by the midway point. All right. Last one in headlines. Uh... Patrick Kane is interviewing with coaches and general managers this week, and that'll drift into the weekend. And there could be a decision on Kane returning to the NHL in his new home as early as next week. And I, you know, we know that Buffalo is involved. Um, losing Tage Thompson did not help the Buffalo Sabres quest to acquire Patrick Kane. Um, but the news sounds better than expected. You know, he's going to be out a few weeks, but a few weeks is better than a few months, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that Buffalo most definitely is is in that mix. But, um, yeah, we'll have something to talk about in Episode 17 because by then, next Tuesday, it's very likely. Are you looking forward to seeing Kane back and seeing the difference? You know, he had the hip resurfacing surgery. Yep. He's got to be way better than he was the last time we saw him, obviously. I, You know, 34 turning 35, mm-hmm. I it's a good story and I'm looking forward to, to seeing whether he can be impactful again. Well, I'm really curious. Um, the list of players that have come back from hip resurfacing and been effective is zero. Yeah. And so I don't, I have no expectation yeah. to what he can be. You know, like when he was with the Rangers last year, it was pretty clear. Like 
he just had no pace right. to the pace of the game at the time of the year he was trying to play it. Does, is that changed? I, I don't know. Like are, when teams are interviewing them, um, are they sending videos to those teams? Do they have testing metrics um, yeah. that he, you know, he does a, a, you know, a sprint in, you know, a 30 meter sprint in X number of seconds. Like I, I would, if I were to invest, I, I would want those numbers mm-hmm. because how else are you going to evaluate them? Yeah. And so I, I'm really curious. I'm really curious. All right. Well, we'll have more on Patrick Kane and, His new landing spot in the National Hockey League, hopefully, episode 17 on Tuesday. Thank you, Tim Hortons. Introducing Tim's new holiday smile cookie. 100% of proceeds support local charities, community groups, and Tim's campers in your neighborhood. Buy a holiday smile cookie at Tim's to give back to your community. Our interviews on Ray and Dregs are brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey. We have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. All the hallmarks of classic Canadian club with the added richness and sweetness of Sherry. All right, we're proud to be joined on the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast by a Hall of Fame member. There he is, Ken Hitchcock, part of the class of the 2023 a class that was inducted this past week in uh, in Toronto. I mean, talk about a whirlwind tour for you, Hitch. I mean, many of us who have followed your path and, and stay as close to the game of hockey as we do, weren't at all surprised when you were named as uh, someone who was going to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But it's still kind of surreal until you're there and you live the weekend that it was. So how exciting uh, was it for you to be introduced as part of that 2023 class? Well, for me, Darren, the the whole weekend we was tied into it. We had a, a family and friends dinner on on uh, on Saturday, which was terrific. So I got to share a lot of it. And they brought the cup to the dinner, which shocked everybody. <laughs> uh, created a firestorm at the keg there, quite frankly. And then on, on Saturday uh, or on Sunday, the Blues and and stars hosted an evening uh, at a restaurant downtown too. So being able to go back and meet all my friends and the owners of both teams, that that was the icing on top for me. I really, to me, it was about the people and a lot of members of my family and, and close friends haven't been able to get this close to the intensity of what hockey means, especially in a city like Toronto. Mm-hmm. And they they got their full full feel for it over this weekend, boy. I'll tell you. Now, Hitch, I'm I'm sure you've been to several induction um, ceremonies in the past. What's it like when it's about you this time instead of you're just there supporting somebody? Uh, a little bit intimidating, to be honest with you. Like you look around, Ray, and you, you think, well, geez, do I really belong in this? You know, because some of these players were like my heroes, you know, like Medano, Neuendijk, uh, Peters Forsberg, uh, Eddie Belfour, like these guys were, you know, they 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 gave me a, a chance to have the record I did, and you're kind of in awe of these players, and all of a sudden you're standing beside them. It it's a little bit surreal to be honest with you. You don't believe that, you know, you, you you're appreciative that you're that you're there, but you don't really believe you're belong at the start, especially when I first showed up there. I didn't believe I, I belonged and. 
And I got to tell you, I haven't been around the hockey business uh, a lot. You know, I've been on the outside and going to Toronto is a real eye opener. Like uh, the intensity, the coverage and the intensity of uh, the way people follow you and everything uh, was a little bit overwhelming at the start of the week, to be honest with you. Everybody gets asked about their call when they when they hear from this number from Toronto shows up and Lanny McDonald's on the other end of it. Um, did you have a, a, a feel that maybe, or was, was it all a surprise? I had done no thinking on dates or anything. I, it, it hadn't, and I had a really poor practice session and I was pissed right off. And I, <laughs> I, I jammed my clubs in the car. I was mad as hell because I was pull hooking everything. And then <laughs> as I jump in the car, here comes the call. And I've always said it's the voice, like when Lanny's voice is there, because we, we've been involved a couple of times in world championship teams, but sure. when it's the voice, then that's when I knew something was up that regarding the hall, because he doesn't call to tell me which restaurant to go in Kalispell to. So um, <laughs> when I knew it was his voice, I, I that's when it hit me that, oh boy, this is going to be something really big. Itch, if, you know, your your story's probably sort of widely known, but it, it's really a remarkable story. I mean, where where you started and how you got yeah. into coaching. And can you, you know, give us a little bit of sense of, like, when you started, what what were your goals of, like, what, where a coach doesn't start and think, hey, I'm going to win a Stanley Cup or get to the NHL. Like, where do you start and how did you how did you get into it? Ray, I, I had the best life going when I was in Edmonton, and I was coaching minor hockey. I was coaching midget, and I was working at United Cycle, and I had this great life going. I, I had a full-time job. I was coaching uh, midget hockey. We were, we were the, the first midget team that was going at it five times a week, three practices and two games. Most teams were doing one practice, maybe some teams doing two. But we were finding ice everywhere. And I was having the time of my life. And I did that for 12 years. I had no aspiration to go anything, anywhere. And then a guy named Bruce Harrelson really pushed me. When Bill LaForge left the, left Kamloops to go to Vancouver, Bruce Harrelson really pushed me to interview for the job. And I didn't want to. And I really kicked back. I didn't feel like I, 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 I wanted to do that. I had this good life going. And then when I went for the interview, um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't even know anything about how to interview or anything. Cause I'd interviewed for nothing in my life. And mm -hmm. when I went back to Candles called me after, after the interview, two days later and said, can you come back for a second one? And we went on the golf course and I was in a, I was in my wheelhouse then. Um, <laughs> and I felt like, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm, I, I felt like that's the first time I felt like, geez, I, I really want to do this. I really want to, I really want to move up. And, but it was a big step to go from mm. having a job and a full-time job and a, a great, uh, a, you know, a great situation in Sherwood Park to all of a sudden take a chance to coach for a living. And it was a big step for me to go to Camloops. Did you know what you were doing when you started or was it, oh my gosh, this is now like out of a fire hose? Mm. Ray, I had no clue. Oh my God. I keep the story. Like my first exhibition game, ten minutes into the game, all that's left is me and the spare goalie. Like the fights and scraps. And, and then 
I didn't even know you had to feed the players post 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 game on the bus. <laughs> and, you know, I had no idea. I didn't even know where to point the bus. I was really lucky that I had veteran players like Daryl Ray, Mark Ferner, Greg Etasheski, Dean Clark. I was really lucky I had those guys because they were really patient with me. I knew the game and I knew how I wanted to play because I spent so much time following the Golden Bears and the Oilers. I knew and I watched so many practices and I had so many uh, plans from Claire and his group and uh, and Perry Pern and then even Glenn Sather was really sharing information. I had a feel for the game, but no idea for the league. I I had no idea what I was doing league-wise. I didn't know, uh, you know, what was involved. In, um, and plus, I they had made me the general manager, which – I'd never done any of that in my life. And <laughs> so I, I stumbled around in the first year and we actually got to the Western Hockey League finals and lost to Prince Albert. But then when we hired Bob Brown, I went back into my wheelhouse. Brownie took over the mm-hmm. team wise. And then I was able to uh, just coach for a living finally. You know, Hitch, as part of your induction <clears throat> speech, um, you, you acknowledge that now finally I can say that, and I love the players. Um, and is that just an acknowledgement? Okay, well, you, you're probably not coaching anytime soon. So now, you know, this relentless, sometimes hard-nosed coach can acknowledge to the world that, yeah, you 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 had some form of a soft spot when it come to the players that you coached. Darren, I I was in awe of the players. I I I really, but I felt like I couldn't show that. I felt like I didn't. I it it didn't fit. You know, like I felt like if I showed them how much I appreciated what, what they were doing. If I, if I showed them I was a big fan of theirs, that they would show weakness. That's, that's mm-hmm. how I thought at that time. And as time's gone on, I, 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 looking back on it, I probably didn't have to do that. But I was, I was in awe of the players and their sacrifice and everything, and, and especially their ability to buy in. If they thought it was good for the team, the buy-in was really strong. And I was lucky. I had a lot of really strong teams when I first started coaching pro. Um, and so I was really, uh, you know, a, a real fan of the players, but I felt like if I showed that it would be weakness and I'm not sure looking back if that thinking was right, but that's how, that's what I thought is I, I can't mm-hmm. show these guys weakness or they're going to take advantage of it. And um, I'm not sure that was the right thinking to be honest with you. Well, when you say buy-in, of course, everybody buys in at a different time in a different way. And uh, I got to work with Brett Hull uh, in TV for one year. (laughs) And I'm telling you, Hitch, I've never been more entertained by just nothing. Just the way Hully talked, the way he, you know, the way he looked at things. Because I found him to be really kind of brilliant about the game. But if he didn't like something... Oh man, <clears throat> we all knew. So there's this one story I got to ask you about because it's 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 kind of legend and it's I think if it's at all true, <laughs> it's it's one of my favorites. You would talk to your team like one thing we as a opponent hated playing your teams was you guys checked so hard and you never gave us any room. It was it was really hard to play. So you're trying to impress upon the Dallas Stars about the importance of preventing goals, not scoring them. And the next day at practice, every time Hully gets the puck, he shoots it over the glass. (laughs) And when you guys have a discussion, he's like, 
well, you were saying goals aren't important. Can you, can you please walk me through that? Because <laughs> the visual of a player shooting pucks into the crowd or into the stands cracks me up every time I think of it. Ray, here's what happened. <laughs> we lost a playoff game 8-4. And okay. the next day <laughs> practice, I said, it doesn't matter how many goals we score. If we can't defend, we're not going to win. And he got pissed off by that. So it started out It started out with a one-on-ocean drill, and he dumped the puck into the corner. He didn't shoot the puck onto the goal. <laughs> then there was a two-on-one, and he chipped those over the goal. And so I got really mad at him. I said, what the hell are you doing? He said, well, you said goals weren't important, which I didn't say, but that's how he read it. <laughs> then I said, get off the ice. And he so he had no problem going off the ice. Five minutes later, Bob Ganey's office was in the corner of the rink up on the second floor. So he had a, a, a bird's eye view of practice and he mm. had a big there. There's Brett Hull sitting in one of the offices, and all I can see is the spikes on his golf shoes. He's <laughs> he's, he's going and he's out of there. We're still practicing, and he's on the first tee. He's out of there. This is during the playoffs. Like, this is not the regular season. This is during the playoffs, and it was, it was priceless. And but you know, I've I've said this to people before. He was the toughest son of a bitch I've ever coached. I've never seen a guy in my life that could play through pain. Um, in the playoffs, uh, he tore his ACL. Uh, he had MCL, ACL tear. He played uh, until the doctors in the overtime game that we won that he scored the goal. The doctors had pulled him off the ice and he was just sitting on the bench. He had no shifts until he went out there and we lost Benoit Hogue. And I said, mm -hmm. can you get out there? And he put his gloves on and he was putting his gloves on as he was jumping over the, over the uh, boards. But I've never seen a man that could endure such pain and, and, mm -hmm. Uh, and still be able to perform. He was incredible, and I've I, I've got a lot of admiration. I know he's candid and he's funny as heck, but I've got a lot of <laughs> got a lot of time for Brett because I've seen him when things are really tough, and he's he's front and center at the front of the class. Well, his his centerman. This is the one that I thought was just amazing. Hitch, your connection and helping these guys along. Maybe when they think they didn't need it anyway, but. <clears throat> Mike Madonna was one of the most brilliant, creative, offensive, fast players that, that you could play against. I hated play. I couldn't catch him. He was too big. He was, you know, he was too much of everything. And somehow, how do you get someone like that to see your way as, even if he doesn't totally agree with it, he buys into it. Like, how do you, how do you sell that? You know what we did with Mike and, uh, I had Mike for half a year until the, the season changed and, and we started a new year. And I, 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 I had a long talk because there, there was a lot of um, discussions about whether Mike was going to be able to be a player or not. And, and Rick Wilson said, Hitch, if, if you stay with him and you do what you do, because we see what you did with star players and junior, if you do the same thing with Mike, I, I think you can get him to play. What we did, Ray, was – 
after the first home game in, in, in the season in, in 96, 97, uh, we went on the road and played four games in that New York area, New York, New Jersey, the Islanders, mm-hmm. um, uh, Philadelphia. We went and played four games. And I told Mar- uh, Mike at the start of the, at the start of the road trip that I was going to hard match him against top players. And the first game we played was in, in Madison Square Garden, and it was against Messier. And he tried to come off the ice, and I wouldn't let him come off the ice. I made him play against Mark. And then he, I, I, I hard-matched him and his line against the other team's top players. And those four games turned his career around. He, mm-hmm. he all of a sudden saw that he could have the same mm-hmm. offensive numbers, <clears throat> the same offensive success, and yet he was mm-hmm. doing it against the other team's best players. And he gained so much confidence. I, I'm not sure he believed that he could play against the, the other team's top players. I, right. could, and when, when we put him out there and we made him play that role – Everything changed. And then he became a two-way player. And the other thing I did was I made him kill penalties. He hadn't killed penalties mm-hmm. in his career very much until then. And I brought him out on the fly all the time killing penalties. So he gained a lot of confidence that he could play in any situation against anybody. And he really grew as a player. He became a real complete player because I thought of the way we played him. And he really bought into that. There wasn't Pitch, a lot you've been of- fired. Sorry, there wasn't, a lot of, there wasn't a lot of coaching, like not, you know this and this and this. Yeah. It was more you're going to play against the other team's top players because I think <laughs> you're better than anybody else. No, and he often was, no doubt about that. Um, you've been fired once or twice as a coach in your career, uh, and the reason I, I preface it that way is, you know, recently Jay Woodcroft of the Edmonton Oilers gets let go, and Chris Knobloch comes from the American Hockey League. Um, tougher to coach now is there any more pressure now outside pressure now than it might have been 10 20 years ago when uh, you were coaching in the league Darren I don't know that there's more pressure but I'll tell you what first of all we've become the English Premier League we it's three and done and uh, th- that's what it looks like to me is that if you get through past three years you've done a really good job and I think that's just the, that's the way it is but I, I can tell you right now um because there are so many teams that are the same, you, you know, when I grew up, there was always the have, have nots. And, and it, it, if you were a have, and, and then all of a sudden you started to dip, um, you know, that, that probably impacted your job. But right now there's like 22 teams that could be playoff teams. So making the playoffs is everything. And if you, if you can't get in, um, then they're probably going to make a coaching change. But I, I look at this as uh, you know, when I coached in the National Hockey League, there was the Big Four or the Big Five at most, and mm-hmm. and so if you were one of those guys, the pressure to win was there every year. But if you weren't, then you were in development stage and you could grow with the team. And for me, um, I look at I look at it now, and if you're one of these teams that's that's close to a playoff spot, if you go through any dip, I don't think they can survive the dips anymore. That because it's a lot, obviously it's a lot easier to change the coach and they're looking for a different energy. But I think that we're, we've become, we've become premier league soccer where it's three and done for most coaches. It's a tough business. Oh, I I often wonder if the reason you guys always walked behind the bench is if you were looking for, um, looking for new new players, 
back there. Like if <laughs> you just look and hoping the names change in front of you, but you're not going to get these same 18 guys here. Um, when, you, when, when you're coaching Hitch, how often do you think about the other coach, about what he does? And do some guys just grind you like you're like, yeah, I don't like that guy. Or is it totally separate? It's just your team versus their team. Well, I learned over time who was really good on the bench, who could get the matchup no matter what you wanted. Like Scotty, Scotty's bench management was exceptional. He had the right players out all the time. Joel Quinville, same thing. Um, Mike Babcock had the right players out all the time. Like I, um, Daryl Sutter was unbelievable at putting knowing which players to put out all the time. I, I found those guys really hard to coach against Ray because they didn't make any mistakes. They just didn't roll lines. They, they, they had the matchups they wanted and they got them on the road or they got them at home. But I found those guys really hard to coach against. Some guys just coached and just rolled them out there. But these guys that, that hard matched or made sure that they had the right personnel out there all the time, they were really hard to coach against. And you, you look at championship coaches and championship teams, getting the player, the right players on the ice at the right time is critical. And I, I coached against some of the best. Like, to me, I don't remember Joel Quenville making mistakes. I don't remember making mistakes of personnel. And, and we had a lot of playoff mm -hmm. runs against each other, not only when he was in St. Louis and I was in Dallas, but when he was in Chicago and I was in St. Louis. Uh, we had a lot of playoff runs against each other and not many times did he make a mistake on the bench for Um, It's funny. You mentioned Daryl Sutter. I did a playoff series. You guys were playing LA and uh, with the media, there couldn't be two guys more opposite. And we were like, Jesus, we got to get moving here. Daryl's going to do his availability. That's going to be 14 seconds. <laughs> and it was so the contrast hitch was amazing. And I got to tell you, one of your great skills, you know, I've been in the media 20 years now is how you would give us just enough yeah. that we'd walk away and go, geez, that was great. Hitch was awesome. Yeah. And then you'd get 30 feet down the hallway and go, wait a minute. We don't know any more than when we walked in there. You had an amazing <laughs> talent for that. I, I just thought it was amazing. We always came away entertained. And um, I don't know if it was intentional. I think it probably was. Yes, it was. And <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> I, learned, I learned that in the sporting goods business. You know, you, I had to convince people all the prices were the same. You, know, you could buy 10 different sporting goods stores and the skate prices were the same. The, the sticks the sticks were the same. Uh, I had to convince people that th this was the place to buy, that we had all the knowledge. And then I, I also had to spin it. And that's what I did with you guys in my mind. <laughs> so I gave you it's enough terrific. Uh, that, that, that you were curious to what we were doing, but I didn't want to get, <laughs> and I, I, I kind of held back on purpose by design, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, it was good. Hitch last one for me. Um, this maybe it might be really hard because you have so many players. Is there a off the radar player, or maybe somebody we don't think of? You know, I asked you about Holland Madonna that you just, as a coach, you were like, oh, just that guy was amazing for me. Um, I, you like the way he did his went about his business. You could trust him on the ice. Just someone that was a favorite 
um, of yours that maybe maybe is off the radar a bit? Well, two two players, both in Dallas, uh, Sergei Zuboff and Yuri Letman. I mm. I I was with Yuri Letman for six years. I never coached him once, right? I never coached him once. I never sit. I never told him <laughs> how to play, where to go. He just he he was he was perfect. He I never I never coached him at practice. He just played, and he was a perfect player for me. And Zuboff for me, um. I became a fan. I became a fan of this guy's creativity, his patience with the puck, his vision on the ice. There's there's a guy that I was in complete awe of because mm. I couldn't believe the decisions he could make under pressure and how patient he was. And then when you would talk to him about the game, the things that he saw, I, I couldn't believe a guy was that smart to see those things. Those two guys to me stick out way above anybody else. Mm. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it here, Hitch. What's next for you? What's coming up for Ken Hitchcock? I got a couple of more of these tours going on. I got... <laughs> but no, I'm I'm dug in with St. Louis and the and, and Springfield and the American League, and I'm I enjoy it. You know, I I, I enjoy talking to the coaches on the non-game days because it's a little more patient and everything. But I'm dug in pre- pretty tight with uh, with Doug and that staff, yeah. and you know. We know we're in a competitive division and conference, but uh, we're making some inroads now, finally, and it's, it feels good, to be honest with you. Are well, you any less competitive now than you were uh, 20 years ago? Probably not. No, no, I, <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, there's times I'm watching this thing on on TV, Ray, and it's a goddamn helpless feeling, you know, and you, you're not <laughs> sure what you're doing, and you you want to pick up the phone between periods, but you know that's not your role. You can't do that stuff. But, boy, there's, there's times I wish I was on speed dial to one of the coaches after the first or second period. But I've got my role, and I, I know how to be patient. But um, I'm really appreciative of – I think this is – I think what I do, not not because it's me. Uh, Tip's doing it in Seattle. Uh, there's a couple other guys doing it. But I think this role is really good for coaches because we can really calm the waters because as a coach – all you see is the next practice and the next day, and we're able to show them the big picture. And I think there's real value in that, to be honest with you. Well, it's been a hell of a week, Hitch. Uh, congratulations on your Hall induction. And uh, as I'm sure Ray would attest to, it's always fun to catch up with you and have a chat. I love it. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You guys take Hitch, care. Congrats. Congrats and uh, enjoy the tour. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Ray, I liked how Hitch talked about the tour. He's still going through the tour, right? And he's obviously talking about the media tour and the various podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, and you talked about it with Hitch in the interview that we just did, um, as far as coaches go, he was as accommodating as any coach that I can ever remember being around as a media person covering the National Hockey League. He, yeah, there was there was trickery and tomfoolery, as he mm-hmm. now admits to, but he always had time for the media, and seldom, seldom did he get ornery. Really didn't. You could tell, like, when he had just had it with a line of questioning. Yeah. yeah. Like, he gets he would get this way you could tell like that was going to be about it. Yeah. But, you know, I referenced that playoff series, LA and St. Louis, and we actually got to the point where we were trying to schedule Daryl Sutter first before Hitch. Mm. 
Because if Hitch went first, you would miss Daryl's availability. Because Daryl would come out, answer seven questions with 11 words, and then leave. Mm -hmm. And we all had to get the media would go like, okay, who's LA scratches today? Because we were with Hitch. Yeah. Like if, if you if you got in the wrong order there, you had no chance. <laughs> you had no chance. And so it was like he's just entertaining, right? I, I'm telling you, the visual of Brett Hall putting his golf spikes up on the window oh. to me is is I will I will not forget that. That was that was outstanding. And wow. the fact is, you know how a story gets told, Dregs, right? And it's like a game of telephone. Pretty soon there's seven or eight different versions yeah. of it. The best part of that story is 95% of it. The story that I heard that is the legend is the true story. We have both sides, man. Yeah. It's it's true. That yeah, that's awesome. And I'm, as, as he's explaining and talking about the golf spikes, I'm like, I'm thinking, hey, I mean, there are players in today's NHL that have the Brett Hull swagger, Right. Well, they're, they're not as flamboyant as Holly was, of course not. But I'm thinking, you know, Sidney Crosby, if he, he could pull something like that off. No chance he would even think of it. Zero chance he would right. do that, which is kind of sad. Uh, okay, so I, I'm going to tell one little story here. Yeah. Because it's the same and the same vintage as Glenn Healy is playing goal for the Rangers and Mike Keenan is his coach. Yeah. And so they've got an optional skate and Mike Richter isn't on the ice. So they got one goalie, Heels. Yeah. And Heels is pissed off that he's not playing much. And um, so they got this drill. Keenan's going <laughs> to shoot it around the boards. Heels has to get out and stop it, set it up to the D, and they break out, regroup, and go back and shoot on the one goalie. <clears throat> First time Keenan dumps it in, Heels doesn't leave the net. Puck goes all the way around the boards. Keenan blows the whistle, yells at Healy, get out and stop the puck. He dumps it in the other way. Heels doesn't get out of the net. He he goes all the way around the boards, so they can't do the drill. So the third time, Keenan walks into the hat or like the just inside the blue line and slaps it at Heels, and he catches it and shoots it over the glass into the into the seating. So (laughs) Keenan kicks him off the ice. So Heels is like "f you," and he leaves the ice. Well, ten seconds later, Keenan's chasing him down the hallway because now they don't have any goalies. Because Richter isn't on the ice. <laughs> Get back on the freaking ice, he says. <laughs> it's so good, so, man. That's so much of that vintage, right? Like, so like, good. The, uh, I love that story. <laughs> tremendous. All right, buddy, you're in Chicago, right? Lightning and Gunnar Bedard in the Blackhawks tonight. Yeah, a lot. They played eight days ago, and Bedard had uh, two yeah, goals and two guys. assists. And um, he's got it. What's he got? Nine goals now on the season. In yeah. 13 games. Just so there, as I, as I said, when we did his opener, there's Connor Bedard and 39 stunt doubles on the <laughs> ice. And that's kind of what it looks like. Tampa's struggling. So I'll be interested yeah. to watch them. And, but um, honestly, looking forward to Bedard again. Yeah. We're looking forward to it tonight as well. And what do you uh, got? What do you got? Drags until the, through the weekend. Not too much to be fair. It's a relatively quiet weekend. So <laughs> nice. Looking forward to it. Enjoy and, it, man was supposed to do the game tomorrow night, the Leafs regional game, and just found out that Bobby McKenzie, who's contracted for four Leafs regional games, that's his game tomorrow night. So oh, he's, I've got a free he's Friday, grinding. Ray. 
He's, he's grinding. He's what? back from Florida. He's He called me while we are doing the podcast. I'm sure he wants to find out, hey, what's going on with the Leafs? I've got to do that. So basically, he's coming back to see the grandkids That's and right. working in a day at work. And good for him. No, he's no dummy. Bobby's oh, a multitasker. No. If he's got one thing going on, he's got 10. And then he's yes. getting right back to Florida. Good All right, him. buddy. Travel safe. Yep. Enjoy. Thanks for listening, everybody. You bet. Thank you to our sponsors who continue to support Ray and Dregs, our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, and Tim Hortons. And yes, thank you for listening, rating, sharing the podcast. And don't forget, check us out on the Ray and Dregs YouTube channel as well. Until next time, stay safe and have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.